One, two. If you can make your way to your seats, that will be great. Thank you. Make your way to your seats. Good to see ya. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Hi. Thank you for like the two people that responded. My name's Obed and I'm one of the pastors here. Along with Dan, Jeremy and I, we've been given the honor and privilege and God's called us to lead and feed this congregation and um, it's a joy, it truly is a joy. Um, and when we meet weekly, we pray for you guys and um, we're always available um, to help and care and support as much as you need. Um, all right, before we get into the text, I want to talk about baptisms coming up. Baptism. Um, baptism at the Bay is um, last Sunday of August. Um, and so the last Sunday of August, don't come here. No one's going to be here. But drive down about five minutes from here to the Bay, to Crown Point Park, um, and you're going to find us, a church family that are gathered to celebrate God's work in people's lives um, through baptism. It's going to be an amazing time, um, and we, there's going to be food trucks and so much going on. I had to mention food that helps get some people there. <laughs> and it's going to be an amazing time of celebrating God's work, but just wanted to really emphasize Baptism Sunday to say that if you are here um, and you have not been baptized and you are interested in exploring what baptism means um, or you're interested in getting baptized, um, next Sunday, um, next Sunday afternoon, we have a baptism class. And that class is obviously for those, you know, and we have several people who are going to be getting baptized. Um, but it's also for some of you guys who are unsure um, of whether you want to get baptized or not. Um, you know, some of you got baptized when you were young, and so you're exploring and thinking, should I get baptized again? That class, this class coming up, is going to be for you. And so next Sunday, 1 p.m. here, we're having a class um, that gets into the nitty-gritty of what baptism is. And so if you're interested in that, do come. We are excited. We cannot wait um, to celebrate God's work in the lives of so many people. Yeah? Is that all clear? Lovely. All right. With that said, grab your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Last week, we started a series um, entitled The Church, looking at the purpose and the function um, or the nature of the church. And so this week we continue that series and we're going to be using Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 um, as our foundational text this morning. As always, in our effort to honor God's word, may you please stand for the reading of it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 reads, And they, that is, the new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, 
and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so this week and next week, what we're going to do is really, you know, dive into this passage. This week, we're going to be spending most of our time on just one verse, verse 42. And so let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time, and thank you for allowing us to be here um, to really, really do our best to focus on you and fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ. As we do that, God, I pray that we would leave in awe of you and leave changed and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. And so, after the heartbreak of Jesus' death, the shock of his burial, the joy of his resurrection, and the awe of his ascension, um, the stage was set for a plot twist no one saw coming. It's the day of Pentecost, It's around 30 AD, that is approximately 2,000 years from today. Jesus' disciples are all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a rushing wind fills the entire room. Tongues of fire appear and rest on each of them, and in that moment, They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result of this experience, they all start speaking different languages. This all obviously draws a crowd. People are like, what is happening to these people? The majority in the crowd are obviously perplexed by what is going on, Because despite coming from various regions and speaking different languages, each of them are hearing the disciples speaking in their own language. They are amazed and perplexed by all of this and begin to wonder, what's going on? Unfortunately, some in the crowd begin to mock um, the disciples, saying, they are filled with new wine. And if you're wondering what that term means, it's basically, they're drunk. Peter, we all know Peter, don't we? Taking a stand with the 11 apostles, stands, addresses the crowd, and assures them that they're not drunk, but what's happening is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Then Peter goes on 
to do what? He preaches the gospel. Many who hear the gospel that day, they're deeply moved by the gospel, and this leads them to ask the apostles and the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? This morning, you are going to be exposed to the gospel. And in a room of this size, I know for sure there may be some of you who are exploring Christianity. And as you hear us sing about Jesus and um, um, talk about the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done, you might be deeply impacted by what you're hearing and you might ask, what shall I do? And if you end up asking that question, come and see myself or one of our leaders will be able to explain to you the next steps in knowing Jesus. Back to our story. And so what happens is that Peter urges um, the crowd to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 41. Look what it says. It says this, And with many other words, he, that is Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's an explosion of growth, isn't it? This incredible event marked one of the greatest moments in history, and that is the birth of the church. This event here is considered by many to be the birthday of the Christian church. And our passage for today, which is the last section of Acts chapter 2, begins to describe the life of the early church. In essence, it describes how they related to God, how they related to each other, and how they interacted with the world. And you know what? As I was looking at this, and um, as we've been reading this, this blows my mind, this particular passage, this event in the birth of the church. And the reason is... Our church here, King's Cross, in sunny San Diego, has got deep ties all the way back to the early church in Jerusalem. While a company like Starbucks, all right, has its origins in 1971, three friends, they set up this shop in Seattle. Our roots, right? Dig deep, reaching back to an event that unfolded 2,000 years ago. That's mind-blowing. Did someone say for real? (laughs) Oh, amen, I love that. This reality blows my mind. And so our church, King's Cross, we exist to be a church just like the early church in Acts. They were a church family on mission with Jesus, and we are supposed to be too. 
And so last week, we started a sermon series with the purpose of understanding exactly what we mean when we say we're a church family on mission with Jesus. The inspiration for this sermon series at this time is because we've just merged with a local church and now call this historic building our spiritual home. We're in a new season as a church, and we need a refresher on who we are and how we're to function as the church. This new chapter for us as a church, and this series on the purpose and nature of the church is a much-needed refresher. And so this week, I want to look at the values or the distinctives or the beliefs of our church, Um, the things, the values, the core that give shape and substance to everything we do. Every company or movement or organization has values and belief systems that give shape and substance to everything they do. For example, the mission of Starbucks is... Who knows the mission of Starbucks? Okay, something. You're kind of right, but let me tell you. Uh, Mission of Starbucks is to inspire and nurture the human spirit... One person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. (laughs) And they're doing really well, aren't they? So cheesy, but anyway, it's worked. In line with this mission, Starbucks' core values include creating culture of warmth and belonging, acting with courage, being present, Delivering our very best, connecting, discovering, and responding. Very welcoming and belonging. The other day I was in my, you know, one of the local Starbucks and I read a sign saying basically no dogs allowed. And I was like, what? Warmth and belonging? Shouldn't be a value no more. Anyway, I'm a dog person now. As a church, we're no different, all right? We also have a mission statement. Our mission is to be that we exist to be a church family on mission with Jesus, and we also have values and and beliefs. And our passage for this morning kind of explores and explains, and is a snapshot not just of the life of the early church, but it also helps us know what our values and beliefs are. And so as a church, what are the things we believe? What are the things we value that not only identify us as a church, but also give shape and substance to everything we do? Number one, if you're making notes, um, first, as a church, we value and we believe that Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is sufficient. Look at verse 42 of our verse. They, that is this early church, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Stop right there. Have you ever wondered who the apostles were? Okay, Um, Most of us know who the disciples are, but who were the apostles? The apostles, basically Jesus' original disciples, commonly known as the 12 disciples. The term apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos. Everybody say apostolos. 
That's the Greek you've learned today. Now go and use it. All right. Once Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, these disciples, what they did was they took on the title of apostles. From the Gospels, we get a wealth of information about the 12 disciples. We know that they left their families, their hometown careers, so that they could dedicate their life to apprenticing and following Jesus so that they could learn from him and become like him. And during the several years in which they followed Jesus, they witnessed Jesus do extraordinary things like teach with profound authority. They saw Jesus turn water to wine and walk on water and feed thousands and raise the dead and cast out demons. Time and time again, Jesus proved to his original disciples that he was truly the Messiah, the son of the living God. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus continues to show us and display to us that he is truly the son of the living God. The apostles were Jesus' closest disciples when he was on earth. And they became his instruments to spread his teachings and lay the groundwork for the early church. So they played a foundational role in the initial spread of Christianity. So you could say these apostles, all right, 12 original disciples, they were the cream of the crop. They were important men who had unique authority given to them by Jesus himself. But, surprisingly, these 3,000 new Christians we just read about, what were they devoted to? They were not devoted to the apostles themselves, but they were devoted to what they taught, to their teaching. Right? Look at it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And why is this? Because they believed that Scripture, that is God's Word, the Bible, is sufficient. Just as it was for the early church in the first century, the same holds true for us in the 21st century. As a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego, we believe and we must hold on to this belief that Scripture, the Bible, is sufficient. We believe the Bible is unlike any other book. Of all the books that exist in the world, there is no book like the Bible. While most books are born from human ideas and thoughts, the Bible has God as its divine author. Therefore, we believe that God wrote a book, and it's called the Bible, And lives are changed as they are exposed to the contents in it. Despite the constant attacks on all that the Bible is, and there is in our current culture, and if I had time, we could look at the many ways the Bible is under attack, but I know that you're very much aware of it. Despite the constant attacks, On all that the Bible is, guess what? God has preserved his word word through centuries of attack. 
While the Bible is viewed by many in our culture as irrelevant and ancient um, and it has no relevance, we view it as the timeless truths of the living God. While our culture wants to remove the Bible from the core and center of our society, we believe that the Bible needs to be front and center. Amazon may view the Bible as one one of, one of the most influential books. But we believe that the Bible is not just one of, but is the most valuable book in history. Our culture may view the Bible as a book you can live without. But we view the Bible as a book you cannot truly live without. We believe the Bible is relevant, sufficient, and the most valuable piece of literature on planet Earth. For all these reasons and countless others, it's no wonder the Bible profoundly influences lives. The Bible makes fools wise. The Bible guides and instructs God's people. It's the inspiration behind many good things in the world. The Bible changes lives and transforms cultures. The Bible gives hope to the hopeless, preserves marriages, strengthens the weak, provides comfort and hurting for the sovereign. But the most compelling thing about the Bible whether you have a physical copy of it like me, or you have it digitally on your phone, or however you access it, the most compelling thing about the Bible is the person of Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells the story of the most unique individual in the world, suggesting that he's the voice behind its words. The Bible doesn't just come from Jesus, It's both offered by him and centered on him. The Bible is a supernatural book. And it has the power and ability to transform individuals. Let me give you an example. Vanitha Rendell Risner is a Christian author who writes and speaks about finding hope in suffering. There are not many people qualified to speak on this topic of hope in suffering than Venetha. She has experienced so much suffering in life. She lost her infant son who died because of a doctor's mistake. Not long after, she was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome and later Her husband left her. After this intense season of suffering, she says she had nowhere else to go for wisdom or hope. That is when she turned to God's word. In her article titled, When My Life Fell Apart, I Needed a Bible That Wouldn't, she shares her story and has this to say about the Bible. Venetha says this, Yes, I've been inspired by great sermons, read moving blogs, listened to insightful podcasts, 
had friends speak truth to me. None of that collective wisdom, however, has changed me as much as God's word. That initially bland manner became sweeter than honey. And the more I consume, the more I change. It truly was my secret to survive in life storms. The flashy and dramatic experiences that I often saw out didn't last and couldn't sustain me. It was the daily, ordinary working of the word that transformed my life. In a room of this size, I am sure... Some of you are going through an extremely difficult time. And our hope and prayer is that you would experience comfort and strength as you seek to commit to exposing yourself to God's word. We live in an age of information overload. Every day, we're bombarded by messages on podcasts and billboards, magazines, best-selling books, random phone calls, emails, text messages, YouTube videos, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, chat GPT, etc., Every day and every moment of the day, many voices and messages aim to get into our minds and hearts. In view of this, because we believe Scripture is sufficient, we will give more attention to it than anything else so that God's voice becomes the loudest and clearest voice amid this age of information overload and noise. And so as a church, we want God's word to be central in everything we do. Our Sunday services, the preaching of God's word is a high point of it. The songs we sing are based on scripture. When you get involved or if you're involved in a community group, we center our community groups on scripture and reading and studying it and applying it. We don't gather to hear our own opinions on a topic. We don't need to hear someone's take on the latest news and trends. We get together to hear from God through Scripture. We believe everything God has to say in Scripture is sufficient. And so what about you? How do you view the Bible? What's your opinion of the Bible? What barriers or misconceptions might be preventing you from fully trusting the sufficiency of the Bible? In what areas of your life could you challenge yourself to rely more heavily on the Bible's wisdom and its sufficiency firsthand? In what ways can you prioritize Scripture in your daily life and similar to how you prioritize food and workout and Netflix. How can you transition from viewing um, Bible study as a mere task to seeing it as a life-giving conversation with God? 
in this chapter of our church as we aim to continue to make scripture central in all we do, may it create in us a hunger for God. May we become a church who believes scripture is sufficient because through scripture we get to know and experience the one true God. So we've looked at the fact that we believe that scripture is sufficient. Second, we believe our gatherings are essential. Our gatherings are essential. Um, look at verse 42 again. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? The fellowship. Now jump to verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is a snapshot, again, of the early church, and they were committed to fellowship, and 46 onwards on packs, and gives us a, a snapshot of how they were involved in fellowshipping with each other. So the early church viewed gatherings as essential, and as a church, we believe that our gatherings, whether it's our Sunday service, community groups during the week, or any other gatherings, is essential. And so the question is, why, why should gathering with fellow believers be a top priority in your life? First, gatherings shape people. Author Jonathan Lehman, who's written much on the church, says this, Groups of people are powerful, not just for what happens when they gather, but for what that group becomes by gathering. And this is true, isn't it? Think about it. Whether it's rallying against injustice, sharing moments of joy, pioneering change, Gatherings have the power to transform lives, reshape culture, and revolutionize the world. This is also true for the local church. Jonathan Lehman again says this, Like a political protest, the church gathering shapes a people. It shapes each one of us as individuals and shapes us collectively into a culture, a force, or a movement. It fashions us the city of God, and like a protest, the gathering offers a visible testimony for the whole world to see. It tells the world we are citizens of heaven. The second reason to prioritize gathering with fellow believers is that God wants us to gather physically. Think about it. Right from the very start, in the book of Genesis, when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them physical bodies and chose to commune with them as he strolled alongside them in the Garden of Eden. I think about that, and I'm like, imagine that. That's crazy. This pattern continued, this pattern of God dwelling with his people, with the Israelites. God brought them together in the promised land, and what did he do? He instructed them to congregate frequently at the temple where his presence dwelt. But the most profound display of God's longing to physically be with his people is seen through the incarnation. 
Some of you guys are like, what's the incarnation? It's, it's when God, in the person of Jesus, became human and lived among us. And so King's Cross Church, think about it. Every time we come together like this, it's like a little piece of heaven touching earth. Our gatherings represent God's presence with man where heaven comes to earth. The third reason to prioritize our gatherings is that our gatherings are what makes a church a church. Okay? Um, think about it. A, a, a soccer team, and I'll use soccer. I shouldn't. It's football. But think about it. A, a soccer team um, is a soccer team even if they're not playing. But if a soccer team suddenly says we're not playing any more matches, they're really not a soccer team, are they? The point is, regularly gathering together is necessary for a church to be a church, just like a team has to gather to play in order to be a team. The last reason to prioritize gathering, and this is interesting, with other Christians is because you, when you gather with people, you cultivate right? Today, for sustenance, you may need tomorrow. What do I mean by that? David Sunday, what a name for a pastor, who's a pastor in Chicago, has this to say about this. It's fascinating. He says, friends, do you realize how vital it is to gather here together on the Lord's Day? This is from a sermon, Sunday after Sunday. Satan loves to isolate us. This is a killer. Don't neglect to gather together with God's people in worship. You are here today, but your presence here today is not just for today. It's for five years from now, 20 years from now. It's for a time when you may find yourself alone in a cancer ward or isolated from Christian fellowship in a desolate place or in prison for your faith, or in terrible turmoil within your soul, or alone at home in the middle of the night after you've buried your loved one in the ground, you cultivate the means of grace today for sustenance you may need way down the road. That's so deep, but it's so true. At the beginning of July, after much prayer and conversations, the leaders of both King's Cross and Solway decided to become one church. As a result of this merger, the members of Solway Church agreed to begin a new chapter with King's Cross Church. The month of July, we dedicated it to bringing this merger to fruition, and the more, the more we prayed and the more we looked at it, the more we were convinced that this is the work of God. Last Sunday was our first Sunday gathering together. And this Sunday is our second. And so, as we move forward and strive to bring in this merger, um, as we move forward and strive to be a church family on mission with Jesus, I wonder, and I want to speak to you, I wonder what your commitment to our gatherings are going to look like. We believe gatherings are essential. But I wonder if you feel the same way. 
If you were to measure the value of your church gatherings in your life right now, where would they rank? And I wonder what changes you need to make so that the church can become a priority. Listen, look, I'm aware that some of you have legitimate challenges and barriers that will prevent you from being as involved as you would want to. Um, For some of you, it's physical reasons. Others of you, it's logistical or even doctrinal. And so if you are facing um, challenges or barriers in joining our gatherings, the question I have is how can we as a church family support you in overcoming these things. Christianity is not meant to be practiced alone, but in community. In other words, it's not just about you and Jesus. Remember that t-shirt? Jesus is my homeboy. (laughs) Really? It's not just about you and Jesus. No, it's about you, Jesus, and other Christians. This is how Jesus organized Christianity. And so as we step into this new season, how about we commit? King's Cross Church, how about we commit to making gatherings with Christians on a Sunday and during the week a top priority? The third thing we believe is that prayer is effective. Look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread and the prayers. A healthy church is a praying church. Prayer is at the heart of our relationship with God. And for this reason, the early church were devoted to prayer because they believed prayer is effective. And from the very beginning of this year, Dan, Jerry, and I and our leaders, we met and we prayed and we said, God, what do you want us to really emphasize and focus on this year? We sense God saying, sit at the feet of Jesus. What that meant was God wanted us to call our church and inspire our church King's Cross, to really prioritize prayer. Back then, our reoccurring plea in our prayers was the need for a larger space, for God to diversify our church. We were a very young church. We still very much are, but we've been praying for five years, and especially at the beginning of this year, that God would bring diversity We needed more silver saints. We had a few in Wayne and Carol and Bert, but we wanted more. Sorry, Wayne and Patty. (laughs) And so we prayed, and we asked, and we didn't know that God would answer our prayer for a larger space and more diversity through this amazing merger. God is faithful, and he answers prayer. 
And so we are not only, we haven't only been committed to prayer, but we desire to be known as a church devoted to prayer. So we've been establishing some rhythms of prayer. Every Wednesday night this month, we're going to be here from 7 p.m. praying. Come and join us. Pre-service prayer, 9.15, every Sunday, we are going to be here seeking God's face for our service. We have a prayer team every Sunday. After I'm done speaking and Dan and the team come up to lead us in musical worship, we're going to have two people on the side that are available for prayer. We want to cultivate a culture of prayer in this church. And what we would love to see is our prayer meetings being prioritized and also us praying for each other on a Sunday. If someone shares something with you, whether it's good or bad, whatever it is, just stop and pray for them. Prayer is powerful. Many years ago, there was a pastor called... Charles Spurgeon. I lived, when I lived in Wimbledon, I lived not too far from where his church, Metropolitan Tabernacle. And one day, one Sunday, two young students were visiting London, and so they decided to visit Charles Spurgeon's church. They decided to go a bit early, about an hour before the service, just to look around and have a look at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And as they entered the church and they walked around, they ended up in this basement. And then there was a room and they heard people kind of praying. And they walked in, opened the door, and there was hundreds of people praying an hour before the service crying out to God for God to work powerfully. I look at that story, and I look at the picture of saints praying that Sunday and hearing about so many others, and I'm like, God, I I just pray that we would be a church that absolutely seeks God's face. Charles Spurgeon said this, the condition of the church may be very accurately gorged, by its prayer meetings. So is a prayer meeting a grace omitter, and from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Kings Cross Church, what if we made prayer a priority? Gosh, if we did, we would experience a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit because prayer is the source of true spiritual revival. 
if we made prayer, continue to make prayer a, a, a priority, we will be equipped with the strength to face trials and tribulations. We will witness God's hand at work in powerful and sometimes unexpected ways. We will not only grow in numbers, but also in effectiveness in reaching out to the community and making disciples. If we prioritize prayer, we will deepen our relationship with God and with, other, and with each other. King's Cross Church, if we make prayer a priority, hearts will be changed, addictions will be broken, relationships will be restored, and people will find true and purpose and meaning in King Jesus. And so lastly, as a church family, we believe that Jesus is everything. In fact, we're obsessed with Jesus. And the gift and regular practice of communion explains why we believe Jesus is everything. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching and their fellowship, but also to what? Breaking of bread. The term breaking of bread here refers to the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. Communion established by Jesus so that believers may remember him. And every time we partake in communion, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us on the cross and remember that it's our sins that put him there, but communion also helps us and reminds us of God's grace and mercy. Jesus is the reason we're a church family. And as a church family, this is exactly why we believe Jesus is everything. This is exactly why we always want to make much of him. And so, King's Cross Church, in this new and exciting season, what will sustain us? What will enable us to truly fulfill who we are? We need to hold on to believe in that scripture is sufficient. Gatherings are essential. Prayer is effective. And Jesus is everything. This is what it means to be a church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we stand and be here united in your presence, God, our hearts are reminded of the early believers as we've read in Acts, just as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, God, may we too hold firmly to these pillars of our faith. Lord, we affirm that your scripture is sufficient. We're reminded that the early church was steadfast and um, were nourished by the teachings of the apostles. May we always treasure the scriptures, leaning into them as our source of truth and guidance. God, we recognize the vitality of our gatherings, how essential they are. 
Acts paints a picture of believers meeting together with glad and sincere hearts, praising you and enjoying the favor with all people. And so, God, as we gather, may our meetings be marked by such genuine love, unity, and joy. Father, we believe in the power of prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. And as we navigate this new chapter in this new season, may we mirror that same devotion. Above all, Lord, we recognize that Jesus is everything. Through him, the early church saw wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And in him, we too find our hope, salvation, and purpose. And so, Father, as we step into this new chapter, we continually, may we continually be praising you and enjoying favor with people. And God, may we day by day grow to love and appreciate who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is a time... going to transition to a time of musical worship and to my left and right we have Wayne and Bronte they are available to pray for you and with you you guys also be free to pray for each other sing these songs that teach you about our God and who he is, but also participate in this worship through praying for each other or receiving prayer. May God continue to reveal himself to you and change you. Amen. Amen.